Now we are writing ourselves. We don't have white people writing what they think blackness looks like. We have the Crystal Robesons, we have the Ava DuVernay, the Cheo Cokers, the, the Anthony Sparks. We have these amazing writers now who can bring it to life. Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our communities, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we are speaking with one of my favorite men in Hollywood, Omar Dorsey. He's one of the stars of Owns Clean Sugar. We'll discuss how taking on the role of James Cleveland in Genius Aretha really helped him through the process of grieving his brother, who sadly he lost last year. He'll also talk about how he and the gang from Clean Sugar went back to work during the pandemic, reworked the entire season to include what we were all going through out in the real world. So May is Mother's Day, May is Mental Health Month. It's such a good time to check in with yourself, check in with your loved ones. It has been such an insanely traumatic year for everyone, whether it's because of the pandemic, because of the ongoing social unrest. We keep having to digest these stories of Black kids getting killed by the police and we're through the election, but it's still a really tumultuous time. There are so many things that we can do for ourselves and for each other to check in and really open up conversations around mental health and normalize that subject matter, especially in our communities. I think that we've come a long way in recent years as far as highlighting just how prevalent mental health issues are in our community. And we're finally starting to see that translate to the screen. Queen Sugar always does a great job of incorporating mental health into the storyline. And there are tons of shows who do that really well. All American is another one tackling those issues firsthand and so many more that I can think of. Just last month, we lost DMX and we know that he struggled with his mental health for years. It's really time that we as a community normalize conversations around mental health, around taking care of ourselves and taking care of each other, preventing suicides, and just doing what we can to make people feel supported, provide people with resources and tools. So this month on Acting Up, we're really going to focus on people and projects who are moving the needle when it comes to representing issues of mental health on screen. There are so many fantastic projects either wrapping up or kicking off. The world is opening back up. People are getting vaccinated. And that means Hollywood is opening back up as well. But there were a few shows who went into production during the pandemic. Queen Sugar was one of the first ones. That is OWN's incredible series that kicked off back in 2016, created by Ava DuVernay and stars a laundry list of really incredible actors. I was so happy when I heard that Queen Sugar was going back into production during the pandemic because it was one of those shows that I knew would be up to the task of capturing the essence of what we were going through and could really kind of serve one day as a capsule for what was happening in this crazy year. I had a lot of faith in what Ava DuVernay and the cast would do with this series and this crazy time. And for me, I was really satisfied. For this episode of Acting Up, I wanted to invite my colleague, Tanya Pendleton, who is a contributing editor over at The Rio and has been 
keeping her eye on all things own, has covered Queen Sugar every season, I think, since it started. We're now just wrapped up season five. And she's also talked to a few of the cast members. So I wanted to invite her on to get her take on how they did at meeting this moment. Hey, Tanya, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Courtney. Thanks so much for having me on the Acting Up podcast. You're so welcome. We're so glad to have you. I mean, Queen Sugar, I know you love this show as much as I do. How did you think that they did this season and conveying what was going on? I think that they did a fantastic job given the limitations that they had to work with. You know that they were all filming in different family pods. So that made it really realistic in terms of what people actually were going through during the initial months of the pandemic. They were isolated to various acting pods themselves. And I think you saw that come out, particularly as Ralph Angel and Darla's relationship grew, obviously, spoiler alert, they did get married on the show. It was so beautiful, particularly after everything that they went through. But I think what you saw with each family pod kind of being isolated is very similar to what we all experienced during the initial months of the pandemic. Yeah. And they really had to pivot. I mean, I know that they already kind of had season five planned out, written out, mapped out before everything changed. And Ava kind of went back in the lab and rewrote everything to incorporate what was actually going on. What I wanted to know from you is, did you feel like anything got lost in that pivot? Is there any storyline that you were holding out for for season five that they didn't get to because the world went to shambles? I mean, I think it would have been really tone deaf if they had just sort of gone on without ever acknowledging all of these things that happened because not just the pandemic, but also the racial reckoning and the wake of the tragic murder of George Floyd. And all of those characters responding to those things became obviously prominent. Ava tore up the season and regrouped along with the showrunner, Anthony Sparks. And it just was vital to continue along with how this family was being impacted in the pandemic. We don't often get to see a Black family from the South on TV. I think that's really important to say and how they were impacted by it. I don't know. I kind of felt last season, obviously, with the introduction of the Parker character that we were going to see more of a, I don't know what you would call that, not a mano a mano, but a woman a woman. a confrontation. So I felt like they were leading into more of that. And we didn't see as much of that because it did focus on these familial relationships. But I think that was probably healing for people watching these characters go through the kinds of things that they were dealing with and struggling with in our real lives. Mm -hmm. So once again, I just think a show very much so on the pulse of the moment, and it felt fresh for them to focus on the world as it realistically was and how it impacted this Black family. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. And I think the other thing that just made it so masterful was the fact that these characters were already so layered. You know, it's not like, okay, we're going to tackle tough issues because the world just got tough. Like they've been going there over the past several years, both on screen and off, you know, like we've seen different characters navigate different elements of mental health struggles. And then we have people like Kofi Sirabo and Tina Lifford who are in their real regular lives 
really active in facilitating conversations about mental health. You know, Kofi has done several projects and lots of work in the mental health space and been open about his own struggles in life with his mental health issues and with the mental toll playing Ralph Angel in Clean Sugar has taken on him. And then we have Tina Lifford, who stars as Violet in the show. I know a lot of you, of course, haven't met Tina Lifford, but if you ever get the opportunity, she is one of those people who is just like a beacon of light. She radiates positivity and she makes you want to do the work that you know she's already done. She's written some books that I've read. I think they're really great. You should check out all of the things that Tina has to say about mastering your mental health. And I just have to imagine that on set, that must have been a really good group to be a part of during such a crazy time. Tanya, I know you got a chance to speak to a few of the cast members of Queen Sugar earlier in the season. What are some things you learned from talking to Kofi and Bianca? I think over time, I've talked to everyone but Ethan Hutchinson, who plays Blue. Wow. Uh, this season, I will tell you one thing I learned about Kofi is mental health. He is obviously being helped out by a very large plant collection and a very beautiful dog that joined our interview at the end. (laughs) So I think everything that you've said about the Queen Sugar actors, both on and off screen, they all seem to be really a very familial group on camera and off. Darla, or I should say, Bianca Lawson talked about how she really missed hugging people because she's very much of a hugger. We've joked that that's the oxytocin that keeps her looking so amazingly young. (laughs) And so she said that was one of the things that she really missed, being able to interact as freely as they would have in the past. But I think the cast on the show has certainly done some things, particularly when it comes to its male characters and allowing them to have fully realized emotional lives. We've certainly seen that through the character of Ralph Angel and his evolution. If you go back to that first episode and and you see how, you know, he basically leaves his son and then he goes and robs a store. And then over time, even in his relationship with Darla, who plays Blue's mother, who was played by Bianca Lawson, that you see how they started out and it was very fragile and it was very fraught and tense. And then they've gone through all these intense changes over time. Certainly not going to spoil that for anyone who hasn't seen it, but they've really evolved to the point where they are now married and making decisions as parents together and all of that. And then you have even a character who would be kind of seen maybe as a a minor character, but the character of, um, what is his name? Prosper Denton. Prosper Denton, yes. You even see the struggles through the pandemic that older people have had when he's lonely and he's struggling with that loneliness and other members of the family come forward to lift him up and to give him some support during the time of the pandemic. So it's been, you know, and, and, and certainly seeing characters, obviously Omar Dorsey's Hollywood, who has played this good guy that we kind of stereotype sometimes like just good, but Queen Sugar has done a great job of making his character layered so that you see that he has his ups and downs, particularly this season and the struggles that he's faced. So that's one of the things I've enjoyed the most is seeing all of these characters have these very full and interesting lives, Darla and 
Aunt Vi and obviously Nova and all of her ups and downs and, and struggles. And then Charlie, you got to see Charlie and the flip side of the hustler and the boss and you know, the woman who's always making the decisions and handles everything for everyone. And what happens when she's forced to face her own vulnerabilities? It is such a great job on the cast and on the writers of providing a family that is very, very fully realized. And, you know, I know you probably remember, Courtney, when Soul Food was on Showtime. Yeah. And they dealt with the family from Chicago. It was an offshoot of the movie and how well, I remember getting together with my family and watching that show. I think it came on Wednesday nights yeah. on Showtime. Mm -hmm. Very groundbreaking. And Queen Sugar has really picked up where that show left off mm -hmm. in, in giving you a real sense of a Black family and what they deal with. And again, particularly in the South, we don't always see a lot of representation of people who live in the South. Yeah. And they are a large part of the Black population lives in the South. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so happy you mentioned Omar Dorsey. Hollywood is just one of my favorite characters. We never get to see Black men just be good, just be well-meaning and do right by his woman kind of guys. I never see that. And I've really loved watching his journey and his arc on this show. And then Omar, just as a person, Omar Dorsey might be one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. Never fails. I absolutely can co-sign that because I met him at, first I met him at a Queen Sugar Junket. And then I ran into him again at the Toronto Film Festival. And so of course I'm at the festival and looking for stories and different angles. And we had this conversation and he agreed without a publicist, without a handler, without anybody else to sit down and talk to me and just do this amazingly spontaneous interview. We met up, we did it. He gave me his number, we made it happen. And he is so lovely. You don't always see that. You may see someone who's willing to do an interview and they're like, well, call this person. Then it takes you, you know, 20 different phone calls to make it happen. No, he sat right down with me. We made it happen. And, you know, I'm sure he had other things to do in Toronto, but he was just a genuinely nice guy, a sweetheart for real. So that Omar that you see on TV, he has said that he's not quite as nice as Hollywood, but I'm not sure that I agree with that. He's a good guy. I, I think so too. He is such a sweetheart. And I spoke to him recently, not only about this season of Queen Sugar, but also for his turn as James Cleveland in Genius Aretha, which was incredible. Tanya, I don't know if you got to see that, but we here at Acting Up have talked extensively about Nat Geo's Genius Aretha project. And Omar was so fantastic in it. And I think that it was really beneficial for him because it was the first job he took after losing his brother last year. And to play a gospel icon and be surrounded by people who he already had relationships with, like Cynthia Erivo, who he starred alongside in For Harriet, and being immersed in gospel music and that whole vibe actually was really healing for him during a very tough time, which a lot of us sadly can relate to after the year that we've had. Take a listen about what he had to say. How you doing, Omar? I'm good, Courtney. How are you? I'm all right. I'm excited to talk to you today about your role in Genius Aretha, but also we just got this incredible finale for Queen Sugar. Like you guys right. 
did it again. Man, listen, listen. This season was a special one. The way that we had to film in pods. And I usually get the scripts and I will read them and I know everything that's going on. I had no idea what other people were doing mm. because all I had was the scenes that I was in. So it was just totally different. I was surprised every episode watching my fellow castmates. It was something special. It really was. And in story matter, you know, everything that went on in 2020 was being reflected. It was some of the best television I've seen. I agree with you. And I wanted to talk to you about that because, you know, it's hard to believe, but we're coming up on the year anniversary already of George Floyd being murdered, yep. of the protests that broke out after that. I'm sitting here like so anxious today at 11 in the morning because I know this video is going to come out of another shooting, another, what the family's calling an execution. And I'm taking myself back to George Floyd right. and what that felt like. And I'm reminded like a year later, it doesn't feel much different. It doesn't, it doesn't. And the thing about George Floyd is that we were all quarantined. We were all living in our homes. So it felt like we had a connected tissue there. And for it to still happen during that time, it really made everybody look. Now we're back to normal a bit. Yeah. So when we're seeing these Black bodies be taken away, it doesn't affect others as much as it did during that time when we were all locked up in our houses and, yeah. you know, the same bullshit is going on. No matter what the world is going on, the same things that have always plagued this nation were still going on, but it's still going on. And it seems as if people are just... Oh, yes, another person killed. Like, yeah, there is another person killed. Yes. Yeah, another one. Another one. Right. And I mean, gosh, so on the heels of George Floyd, in the midst of these Black Lives Matter protests, we were in an election. Right. It was so chaotic. And I remember like that time where we really didn't know what was going to happen with Hollywood. Right. Everything was shut down. It was before they figured out all of the guidelines to go back and shoot. And you have this show that you're a part of that you know already in normal circumstances really elevates the conversation and really goes there. And then you get thrown these curveballs from real life and you've got the likes of Ava DuVernay behind you. Right. I think the expectation for me when I heard you guys were going back was the result, which is what you just said. It was some of the most incredible television that we've ever seen, but it almost feels like it better have been, you know, like. It had to have been. For us to go back, it had to have a message. You know, we had a whole season. We were starting to shoot episode two before the world shut down. Wow. So Ava and Anthony Sparks had to go back in and rewrite a whole season of television, mm -hmm. almost on the fly, in like two or three months. So that within itself was an undertaking that I couldn't even imagine. You have to tell a story that had nothing to do with what we were supposed to be doing. We're supposed to have, oh, Hollywood is opening up, is the real spot. And this is going on, and that is going on. And Charlie is a city councilwoman now. But all of that took the back seat to, to the real. Like you said, it had to be that way. It couldn't be superficial. Ava don't do superficial. Ava don't do that. And I don't do superficial. You guys at the time that you went back into production, you were one of like the few sectors of the country who were allowed to work. Right. It was like Hollywood has to go on. And some people had some issues with that. But I think other people really benefited from the fact that who knew we were going to be in this for a year. Right. But... Thank God we had some reflections of that on the screen as we continued to go through it. But did you feel a sense of responsibility to like, 
I mean, it has to be rare to know in the moment that you are living in a major moment of history. Right. And you guys were about to do something and reflect something and capture something, create a capsule that, you know, I mean, our kids, their kids, they might watch this show yeah. and be like, this is actually what was happening. Yes. Did you feel that going in? Was there an added weight or responsibility? It was a responsibility. When I knew what we were going to do for the storyline, I was gung-ho. I always feel like the responsibility of the artist is to reflect the time. William Shakespeare says it's as if to hold the mirror up to life. And that's what we're supposed to do. We don't do it a lot of times. We do fluff. It just is what it is. But especially on a show like Queen Sugar, we have to. And especially the fact that we were one of the first shows to come back. That was our cross the bear, and, and we were glad to pick that up. I just remember talking to Ava about, well, what are we going to do? I mean, you can't do fluff. She's like, no, oh, that's not what we're doing, bro. She's like, no, no, we're going to really show what 2020 looks like. The good, the bad, and the ugly. There's a lot of bad and ugly in it, you know. Family is good, and that's a great thing about it. Through all of it, you know, the Queen Sugar, the Board of Loans is still a family. And so we have to deal with all of this stuff as one. We have to move in a unit, it, you know, particularly with Hollywood and Vibe. So I was ready to go to work. I love acting. So I was just ready to go, but I knew it had to be important, and it was. What was Tina Lifford doing on set during that crazy time? Because I constantly thought of her, you know, she's so uplifting. She's so, I think, you know, when I'm around her and when I see other people around her, it feels like she kind of invites you to tap into that emotional yeah. part of yourself and is so big on mental health. Like, what was her vibe like when shit was scary and weird and uncertain? Yeah, she's not scary and weird and uncertain. So she's a person you can really go to for support. Listen, it was really hard for me. We were living in this hotel. It was just us. I'm a people person. <laughs> I like to be amongst the people. So I would look outside. It would be Tim and Duran who plays Charlie's husband. We would just look outside and we see all of these people walking. It was Halloween. We're like, we're supposed to be amongst the people, but we can't go anywhere. But Tina... Uh, he plays David West, I'm sorry. She, Omar, don't worry about it. We're doing something greater. So she is constantly uplifting all the time. And I really needed it during that moment. I really needed it because it was tough. Yeah, I needed some Tina Lifford in my life too. I, I should have tried to dial her up. <laughs> yeah, you should have, because she's awesome. You know that. Yeah. So, I mean, this other great thing happened recently that was Genius Aretha, and you were yes. such a huge part of that. It was such a powerful project and such a unique look at someone that we all thought we knew and understood right. really, really well. Talk to me about like what your approach was to playing this real life person, right? Because that has to be different than a character that you're creating. I right. I remember when I read that the miniseries was going to go, and I hit up Cynthia Revo. I said, Cynthia, who y'all got playing James Cleveland? She was like, oh, look at this person. Why, do you want to do it? I was like, hell yeah, I want to do it. That was like in October. It was months before they even started shooting. Mm -hmm. I forgot about it. She and I had a million conversations after that. But I'll give you a story. I was dealing with my brother who passed away last year. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I had, uh, felt like I had a dream about Nima Barnett, great director, saying, Omar, I need you to come with me. This is just a random dream. And I said, I had a dream about Nima Barnett last night. That's weird. And I went to the hospital. They told me, like, you know, your brother probably won't make it in the next couple of days. So I was like, oh, man. So then my agents and my managers called me and said, you know, they want you to come and do uh, this project. I said, I'm not doing anything. I'm staying in Atlanta. I'm not going anywhere. Well, they're shooting in the last. I don't care what it is. I don't care. I don't want to do anything. 
And then Nima Barnett calls me and she said, brother, I need you. I want you to play James Cleveland. I thought about it. And I said, this might be something from the ancestors who want me to come in and take this role. Because I really wanted to play James Cleveland. I thought I saw Amazing Grace. I said, I could really play that guy. And I listened to James Cleveland my whole life. My father's a pastor. Your father is a pastor? Yeah, my father's a pastor. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I, I prayed on it. And after a few days, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. And it was the first thing that I did after my brother passed. And it's going to always mean something to me. Yeah, it, it is. So I had a lot of emotion going into a period and get a chance to work with Cynthia again and play her best friend instead of playing the person trying to kill her. Yeah. Like it wasn't Harriet. Yeah. You know? And I told her, I said, we have to do something because she's like my baby sister. Mm. Everybody has this taste in the mouth. Like when you see Harriet, you see I'm chasing her and trying to kill her. So we got to show our real relationship. So that was the closest thing that we have. James Cleveland and Aretha Franklin are almost how Cynthia and I are. We are brother and sister like that. Oh, I love this story. Did you know when you called her so early on, you know, that they were considering her for Aretha? Like, is that who you imagined her playing in this? Well, no, I knew she was playing Aretha. Oh, okay. It, it already got been announced. Got it. So that's why I called her. I was like, yo, who y'all got playing James Cleveland? Oh, I see. You know, so, I see. yeah. I mean, what a perfect casting that was for you exactly like you said you knew you could play it and you did you like played the shit out of that role thank you so much Courtney you thank did you. And, and reminded people I mean like I don't know that I've thought about James Cleveland in a long time and then I did and was like oh my gosh like yes like greatest right. gospel maybe performer ever 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 yeah ever. yeah what did being immersed in the music, in that gospel music do? I mean, God, you were grieving your brother. Like I'd have to imagine. I needed it. Yeah. I needed it. I remember that morning before I was going to set for my first day, just listening to James Cleveland and just crying in the shower. And I just needed it. You know, I needed it. I needed it at that moment in my life. I was just crying and bawling. And when I got the set, I was there. I, I felt like, like you said, I was immersed in that character. And I watched Amazing Grace so many times. I love that documentary. I absolutely love that documentary. And it was so easy to play that portion of the show. The Amazing Grace, I, I felt like I knew it verbatim. And I listened to the album so much. So me singing the songs, me playing the songs, it wasn't going to be that hard. Yeah. But like you said, you're just playing a person who is known as the Prince of Gospel. And it's a responsibility. You mess that up. The community won't forgive you. Right. No, we won't. You know, we won't. You know, like, oh, you ain't do that right. You know, you might be good on Queen Sugar, but I don't know about this yeah. one. So I knew, I knew I had to show, you know, something. And, you know, luckily, you know, it, it came out really well. And I was very happy with the way it came out. I really was. I feel like I talk a lot about Black women in Hollywood, right? And like, inequities in their paychecks or, you know, their representations on screen, but it's not often that I really get to talk to male actors such as yourself who have been able to, I think, cultivate a career that at least from the outside looks like that's going really well for him. Like, I don't right. always find myself contemplating what your walk looks like. And I wondered for you in this time of kind of racial reckoning, in the country, but also in the industry, for sure. Right. Like, is it perceivable to you? Do you feel a shift yet? Do you see things, issues that you've experienced and encountered being addressed? Like, what's your temperature on all of this? 
The older I get and the longer I've been in the industry, the more respect that I have and people have respect for me. Yeah. So the stories I want to tell, people will say, yeah, okay, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. You have to understand, I'm a big black dude. I came in a the game, they always wanted to throw thug rolls at me. And I did some and I didn't do some. There's a lot of them I didn't do. I did Ray Donovan because I wanted to do Ray Donovan. So good also, like, thank you. Yeah. it doesn't count. Like, that was fine, yes. <laughs> I said, if I'm going to play Nino Brown, I'm going to play a gangster. I'm playing Nino Brown. Right. I'm playing Cookie Brown. I'm playing Michael Corleone. I'm not just going to play just some. So even after that, everybody wanted me for all of the gangster roles after that. Mm -hmm. I said, but look, Selma's coming out in a couple of months, and you want to see me as a civil rights leader. So you want to have some type of dexterity with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I never wanted to, I come from theater. I'm doing two or three shows at a time when you're doing summer stuff. So yeah, I might be playing King Lear right here, and I might be playing a hooligan and Oliver Twist right here. So you're doing different things. And that's what I wanted my career to be. So now the producers know me, the directors know me, and they know the type of things that I like to do. And they know I will say no in a minute, because I say no all the time. Because you know, like, I, I don't, if I don't need it, I don't need it. It's becoming a little bit easier for me I don't know about for everybody. And the people who I roll with, I see their past. I see the Dorian Mystics, and I see the Anthony Mackeys, and I see the Lakeith Stanfields, and Sterling Case, and, you know, and Chad before he passed. I saw that, like, the things that we want to do, they're sort of letting us, okay, we give you a shot at that. Hope you don't mess it up, but, and, and nobody has. Nobody has. They're, they're giving us a chance to do what we can. The best thing about it, is that now we are writing ourselves. We don't have white people writing what they think blackness looks like. You know, we have the Crystal Robertsons, we have the Ava DuVernay's, the Cheo Cokers, the, the Anthony Sparks. We have these amazing writers now yes. who can bring it to life. And that's the best because we know what we look like. Those Ruben Santiago Hudson knows what it looks like when you have the hot comb on the stove, you got to comb the hair, what it smells like and, and all of that. So our culture is being reflected by us now. Yeah. What are some things that really caught your attention during quarantine as far as watching? I know I got sucked into some shows that I probably never would have had the time, you know, to pay attention to, but what were some projects that for you kind of piqued your interest? Secession. I know, isn't it so good? It is ridiculously good. Ugh, it's so good. And I never would have thought I would have cared about rich white folks, but my God, the King Lear of it all. It just blew my mind. And I said, the next thing that I do, if I'm the lead of it, it has to be this. It has to be this writing. It has to be these chess pieces moving in different ways. Yeah, that show just blew my mind. And I tell you, Lovecraft Country did, but I was going to watch that anyway. You know, I was going to watch that anyway. I didn't care. Yeah. But yeah, Secession and Lovecraft. I watched The Americans, too. I haven't I watched the seen Americans. that. The Americans. It's pretty good. I do want to watch that. I love Carrie Russell. Like She was amazing. When it got my attention, they were already three seasons in and it was not the time and I was really into Homeland, but Homeland is ended. Yeah. And I think I will revisit the Americans, but I don't think there are enough Black folks watching Succession, number one. Yeah. It is really one of the coolest shows on TV. It is so well acted. It's so well written. It's so well acted. Man, Brian yeah. Cox is a monster. Yep. He's a monster. But get this. Do you know that Sana Lathan is going to join season three? So now maybe Black people will watch. She's in it. Are you serious? Yes. She's like a cast member. I'm so excited about that. Oh, man. I know. 
We'll have to come back when Succession is on and like tell people about it and like what's happening and why they should watch because yes, yes. it's rare that I get to talk about my love for Succession, but I do love it. And yes, obviously Lovecraft was so incredible. There were so many projects, particularly ones helmed and starring Black folks, I think in 2020, that should be getting all of the shine. I may destroy you. Oh my God, I may destroy you, right? Like, what do you think? I mean, how are you feeling? What the Oscars happened, that went how it went. What do you think the Emmys are going to do like with the nominations? Do you think those shows are going to get what they should be getting? I don't know, man. I think Queen Sugar's season five was tremendous. It ripped, listen, and I'm not here to like toot our own horn, but my God, if any academy, okay, I'm voting for it. I know that much. Exactly. Exactly. I know that much. Queen Sugar, I May Destroy You, Love Craft. Yeah. For sure, genius, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's so many more, but there are a few where I'm like, if you guys don't nominate these things, I just, what what else were you watching? Like, I was watching The White Shit too. What was so good? It's, It's disheartening, you know? It's disheartening. Yeah, it's just, it would be. And we were on the cover of the Emmy magazine last month. That's a good sign, I think. <laughs> That's a good sign, I think. And in season four, I think we won television show of the year from the Academy, but not from the Emmys. So that was a different thing. But yeah, I mean, look, you know, I talked to Ava about it. She was like, we're not here for the awards. But I was like, Man, we put in some serious work. I see some of these shows and they ain't this. You know, no slight against anybody. Succession's the bomb. But some other shows, like y'all just keep nominating the same things. You're getting lazy. Right. But, you know, it is what it is. And they, I think what it is, is they're used to certain things and certain actors. So they're like, okay, let's go ahead. This person has like been nominated 30 times or this show's been nominated every year. Okay, look, Game of Thrones is off now. We, we can go to another one. Move on. You yeah. Know? What does it mean to you now? I mean, at this stage in your career, what does an Emmy nom, an Emmy win, a Golden Globe nom, like what does that actually do in your real life? Does it change your check? Does it change? Yeah, it changes your check for sure. It does. Look, man, my little brother just won an Oscar two days ago and I love him with all my heart. Nick May, uh, he's a 29 year old dude, produced Two Distant Strangers. And I said, your whole life is yeah. ahead of you now, man. You just won an Oscar at 29 years old. You're 15 years younger than me. But yeah, it changes the paycheck. It changes the, it changes the discussion. You know, it does 100%. People will actually put projects on your back now. You know, they will. And Dan Clue's already had projects on his back. They are really right. bankable now. I mean, look, man, Daniel's been bankable since right. Get Out. And, but yeah, but they're bankable now. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't know what the box office is going to look like, you know, anytime soon. But... To have that Oscar nominee, Oscar winner, Emmy winner, Golden Globe winner, when you're doing the trailer, it does something. It it gives a a sense of prestige. Yeah. And I think people think only that it's like a popularity contest and they don't know that there are really tangible effects for like your careers. Yeah. Of course you want to say it doesn't matter. We don't do this for the recognition, blah, blah, blah. But in a way it's like, no, if you have a chance to like get a raise and a raise in dollars, a raise in profile, a raise probably in like agencies over what you do, of course you're going to want to go for that. Listen, I'm a student of history, right? When the books are open, they'll say Frank Sinatra won an Oscar from here to eternity. You know, they'll say Denzel won an Oscar for glory or for- uh, Training day. Training day. You know, those when those books are open, when people are studying that, these are the people who you know who won those Oscars, you know? Ava won an Emmy for the 13th or whatever. They'll know that. And you'll be in the discussion. 
you know, you'll be in that discussion. It's funny, my daughter's graduated from Howard Woo! in two weeks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was studying theater. She was reading the plays, and my name was in the front of some of those plays that I originated some of those plays. Woo! So it's like you're studying me when the books are open, you see that. You know, you see those people. So, you know, for history, you want that a bit. Like I was here, you know. Yes, absolutely. Lastly, I want to know, did you get the vaccine? I did get the vaccine. When did you get it? Like, why did you get it? Which one did you get? I got the Pfizer. My last one was April the 2nd. Did you laminate the card? Where's the card? Bam! <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I was with my boys. I was with uh, Paul Garns and Terry Jingles and Anthony Mackie last night. We were all showing off our cards. But yeah, I got it because I wanted my parents to get it. Mm-hmm. So I took them to get it. And I said, if I get it, will you get it? And they did. So, you know, and you know, I was just trying to get back to a sense of normalcy. Right. I don't know what that will look like. I'm also a person who really likes to travel. I like going out of the country. And I don't know how many countries are going to like let us in if we don't have the vaccine. Probably have to get a COVID test also, you know, before we go. But I like traveling. I like going places. Yeah. Were your parents hesitant before you did that? Like, did they have reservations about it? And did you have it? They had discussions about it. They had discussions. And I was trying to get my mom to do it. And she said she wanted to talk to her doctor first. Her doctor was saying it's better to get it than not to get it. So I took them to get it. And I got mine too. Did you get yours? I haven't gotten it yet. That's all right. They like just opened it up last week here. I'm in LA. I'm only 36, so I couldn't get it before now. And I think same, like I want to get it because I want to travel, but I am, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm sorry. I work at the Grio. I have all of the information from doctors and the CDC. It still does make me nervous and not like in a crazy conspiracy way, but just, you know, like, like the flu shot makes me nervous too. So right. I know that it is the right thing to do. Like I'm probably going to make an appointment. I want to keep my kids safe. You know, I want to set a good example, but I am not somebody that's like, it is no big deal. I'm like, what's in there? Yeah. <laughs> COVID is in there. Right. COVID is in that shit already. Yeah. Listen, I had COVID. And it wasn't no Me fun. Me too. So. I had it too. And it was awful. I don't want it again. It was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, if the vaccine has some crazy component that makes everyone grow another eyeball, I don't want to be the only one without another eyeball. I know. You don't want to be left out. Come on. You had a third eyeball. If everyone else is jumping off a cliff, like, will you jump? It turns out, yes, I will. I would jump. What am I going to do on the cliff by myself? <laughs> right. Right? Let's just go. See what's down there. All right, Omar, it was such a pleasure, as always, to speak to you. Yes, Gordon. Thank you so much for your time and your candor. Always. We'll be rooting for you on several fronts at the Emmys. Thank you. And hopefully we'll talk to you soon when Succession comes back. Definitely. We're going to have a whole discussion about that. All right, you take care. All right, Courtney. Bye. thanks so much for joining me today on Acting Up and lending your Queen Sugar expertise. So fun to hear from you. Anytime, Courtney. I love that this is what you're doing and I'm looking forward to hearing more and hopefully coming to join you guys again. Cannot wait. So before we wrap this episode, sorry if I sound a little motherly, but it is Mother's Day this week, so get over it. I just want to encourage everyone listening to please take a moment, take five moments, take all of the moments to check in with yourself and recognize that there are small things that you can do to check in on yourself, to take care of yourself, and they're simple. 
Have you eaten? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you moving your body? Exercise, like stretch out a little bit. Do what you can to get moving, to get yourself some sleep, to nourish your body with things that are going to help you feel good and get a therapist. There are so many resources now that link people to therapy, whether you have health insurance, whether it's covered, whether you want to see someone in person or talk to someone on your phone or via Zoom, there are resources for you. We're going to be providing some of those resources throughout the month here on Acting Up and over at the GRIO. But please take care of yourself. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. Follow us on Instagram at actingup.pod. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell.